Hi, military moms, dads, and grandparents. At Military Network Radio, we know that everyone serves in a military family, and we know how hard it can be to provide a great education for our military kids. K-12 believes every child is uniquely brilliant. So to prepare them for college and success beyond high school, they deserve an education designed just for them. Learn more at k12.com forward slash grade about enrolling. A child's brilliance comes in many forms. Some are curious, others inventive, sometimes analytical. K-12 is a full-time, tuition-free online option to traditional public school. Taught by state-certified teachers, schools powered by K-12 provide an individualized education, enhancing your child's ability to succeed. K-12 programs teach to and embrace your child's unique brilliance. Students from K-12 power schools go on to find colleges and universities, enhancing their ability to succeed. Be part of the community of military families throughout the world who have succeeded with a tuition-free online K-12 education. K-12 welcomes students for grades K through 12. Visit k12.com forward slash grade or call 855-628-9531 for more information about enrolling. That's 855-628-9531 and k12.com forward slash grade. Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Welcome to Military Network Radio. We are very happy that you've joined us this morning. I am also joined by Justin Constantine this morning as the co-host. Good morning, Justin. Good morning, Linda. As always, very excited to be here. Me too. And the topic today is one of keen interest to both Justin and I, and we believe to all of our listeners. We're going to be sharing time talking about long-term caregiving for traumatic brain injury. I think there's a lot of misunderstandings that people have about traumatic brain injury. The variance among injuries is very wide, but there is a long learning curve, which requires long-term caregiving. And we're going to be talking to Joel Goldstein today, who is a master of long-term caregiving, has written books and articles, and is just a father supreme, and I will let him tell his own story about he and his wife, Dale, and their experience with traumatic brain injury. So, Joel, we would love to welcome you to Military Network Radio. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Linda and Justin. Very glad to be here and hope uh, to share some ideas that have uh, helped our family uh, cope with the long-term consequences of our teenage son uh, suffering a very severe traumatic brain injury. This was Christmas of 2001. Mm -hmm. So it'll be 15 years. And um, uh, the quick version is that he was uh, 16 and out with a bunch of friends joyriding. He was a passenger. And uh, they were clowning around and plowed into a tree he, uh, he was lucky for us, and we're grateful that the, these newer uh, techniques for managing brain injury are in place now. He was medevaced 
roughly 100 miles down to Westchester County. We live up in the Catskill Mountains of New York. Mm -hmm. He was medevaced, and he was taken in and uh, evaluated, and they they did uh, emergency brain surgery on him without parental permission. It was do or die. And, um, Frank, before we eventually got the call uh, that every parent dreads uh, from the police and... uh, he was already in brain surgery. We didn't even know he'd been injured. Anyway, he, w- he remained in coma for a month. Anyone who's been through a coma watch knows that that's, that's a life-changing experience right there. True. And uh, followed by roughly eight more months of uh, rehab, hospital, and intensive therapies, at the end of which, after that nine-month period, the judgment came in from both the hospital and the school district that evaluated him at the time. And the judgment was he was not suitable for reintroduction into a classroom. And we would all be better off if he were parked in a rehab or, or a, a nursing home indefinitely. Mm-hmm. So suffice it to say that my wife, Dale, and I uh, did not agree with that. We uh, fought that judgment and uh, eventually got Bart back into school, although in special ed and with a full-time uh, aid and part, only a part, part of day school, uh, a very different setup from his previous life. He'd been a three-season athlete and an uh, uh, excellent student, um, but we felt that if he was going to have any fighting chance of recovering, he'd have to be surrounded uh, by the people he knew and loved and who loved him. Not just family, but friends, coaches, and so on. And uh, we, uh, we, we, we explored alternate therapies, which is one of the uh, places when we talk about uh, caregiving. And I'll just say this for all our Brothers and sisters, there's at least six million families like ours, according mm-hmm. to the CDC. You know, caregiving, obviously, by definition, uh, with a, a severe brain injury is exhausting. and It's often frustrating. Uh, it's a constant learning experience. But it can be uh, joyful and deeply rewarding, although uh, uh, you have to frequently remind yourself of that. You know, Joel, I I think it's a good point to interject that you took all your caregiving experience in the last 15 years and you put it into a book called No Stone Unturned, which I highly recommend to our listeners who have uh, those loved ones with traumatic brain injury. The, The interesting part about the way you have come to this is you have realized what so many do and and don't quite know where to go and how to go about it, that customized, tailored care, um, real strong advocacy, all of that counts towards the final outcomes. There are no guarantees, but it sure does help when you put everything you've got into the caregiving and not leave it up to, quote, the system. Would you agree with that? Uh, I I couldn't agree more wholeheartedly. In fact, um after the nine months, I, 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 I'll let you know this. I, I was not born a rebel. I was, I was frankly expecting the hospitals, the doctors, the system to fix BART. Mm-hmm. 
That was my expectation going into this. If he survived, they would be able to bring him back. And when they, in effect, told me, and sometimes very directly told us, that, look, he's plateaued, he's come about as far as he's going to go, you really only see good, strong uh, recovery and healing in the first year, or maybe two, after the injury. So they basically did a kind of lavabo on Bart. They said, we're washing our hands. They didn't quite put it that crudely. And you've just got to accept the fact that he's hopelessly disabled mm-hmm. is, uh, for the rest of his life. And so in the teeth of that kind of uh, bad news, that's when we started casting about for alternate therapies and generally started thinking outside the box. And um, I, I do I, want to talk about alternate therapies, but at first I would love us to stay on the topic of your experiences in caregiving. I'm sure that as you went along the phases of the brain injury and then the longer term portion of it, that you evolved as well, you and Dale. You, you bet. Let me try to, I, I, I was thinking about it, as you know, I, I wrote an article, I wrote several articles, but... Mm-hmm. The one for Brainline called When the Dust Finally Settles is the one that you're referencing. And Correct. It seems to have been reprinted in a half a dozen other journals and it really touched a nerve. Let me touch on if I had uh, uh, just a few points to make to people that I think will really uh, um, make a difference in their lives. Uh, let me touch on a few of those strategies. One of them, the first one that comes to mind and the first one we employed, we did this when Bart was still in coma, um, is we decided to laugh a lot. Now, you know, that may sound trivial or it may sound Mm -hmm. near impossible, but, you know, I mean, we were watching his ICU unit, you know, seeing the the pressure in his brain and the bells. And we, as you know, in, in, in neurosurgical ICU, people are dying. We saw several friends die in there. They become friends fast. And so, it's it's grim to an extraordinary extent, and um, we uh, we we unconsciously and then we we said we said it to each other. Listen, let's not lose our our sense of humor because if we lose it now, we may never get it back. So we, it was often gallows humor, but mm-hmm. we were cracking up and and always speaking to Bart. Bart has a great sense of humor and was always. Uh, kind of class clown Um, and so we included him in that and we had read some years earlier Norman Cousins Anatomy of an Illness Mm -hmm. and we took a a note from that he was diagnosed with a fatal disease the the docs couldn't cure it and so they basically sent him home to die and he figured as long as they can't help him he may as well have some uh, good laughs and this is before the time of uh, computers so he rented films and, and TV shows and nonstop uh, had himself cracking up. And don't you know, he, he managed to survive and flourish. And I, I don't think the science behind it is understood, but there is some reason to think that the brain produces endorphins when it's laughing, especially belly laughs. And so it's good for you. And all during the healing process, uh, Bart eventually was home for about five years, and gradually now he lives on his own, uh, semi-independently, has his own apartment, part-time job. 
we would rent the funniest movies you could think of. And we left that up to Bart mostly. And he was a teenager. So his, his taste was somewhat puerile. You know, he was renting things like Crank Yankers and Dave Chappelle. But I, I would come home from work and I'd open the door and the house would resound to this belly laughing and we'd all get in the spirit of it. And when people would say to us, hey, listen, you know, there's a good book or a good movie or a good show. It's a, it's a little on the track. Joe, we're coming to a break. Sure. We're going to have to hold on to that laugh. You're listening to Military Network Radio. We'll be right back. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Traditional American breakfast, including fried egg, bacon, toast, and potatoes, must seem really heavy to the rest of the world. When my husband and I were in the Amazon, our breakfast consisted of crocodile, deep-fried piranha, and bananas. I can assure you, I ate pretty lightly. For breakfast in Russia, some people enjoy a spoonful of jam in their tea. Now, that sounds yummy. What's a word for a person who loves jam? A paziwala. What's another word for weak tea? Whack rowdy dow. Salamagundi was originally an English dish of chopped meat, anchovies, and eggs, garnished with onions, lemon juice, oil, and condiments. Mornings at our house are too hectic to go to all that trouble for breakfast. I'm scrambling just to get some eggs on the table. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome to Toginet, cutting edge radio. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We are talking with Joel Goldstein about long-term caregiving for a traumatic brain injury patient. And we had been talking prior to the break about laughter being good medicine, which it absolutely is. Raises endorphins, lowers cortisol, increases oxygen intake. And that was brilliant. But I imagine our listeners are saying, but I don't feel like laughing. So what you're recommending is getting comedic films and things like that. Would that be correct? Yes. I would. I'm saying force yourself to Mm -hmm. laugh. You know what you find funny when it it doesn't matter if it's high humor or low humor, Mm -hmm. find the stuff that you like, keep it in hand. And when, and when you feel miserable and your heart is breaking, make yourself laugh, expose yourself to that and uh, uh, hope for the best. I want to segue from that into a closely related issue and technique, which is, Music. Fill, fill the void with music. Mm-hmm. Again, w- w- it doesn't really matter what type of music you like. It could be Mozart to Motown to show tunes to jazz. Whatever brings you to a hopeful and peaceful place. You want to have that at hand. We created special CDs mm-hmm. that we pop in the in the car. I still have them. I don't much use them anymore. Once in a while. And, and there were combinations, everything from the occasional hymn. There's the old Quaker hymn, How Can I Keep From Singing, which really uh, brings you to a hopeful place. And then uh, just fun music. Our, one of our favorite songs, it was the first time we saw Bart really react. Okay, this was, this was maybe 
more than eight weeks post-injury. So he was conscious, but in the early stages of coma emergence, he would you would say he was like the Walking Dead, uh, you know, like the zombie movies. And we put uh, headphones on him, and it turned out he was thumbing through an old uh, CD, and he found Tiny Dancer, you know, the mm-hmm. song Tiny Dancer. Elton and John. Saw, Elton John, you know. I won't try and sing it. As you can hear, I have asthma. <laughs> I used to sing in the choir, but that was 50 years ago. And he started to bop. His head was bopping. And we looked at it. What is this? And we began informal music therapy, in effect. Mm-hmm. And as some of you may know, they've studied music. That is, the neuroscientists who studied music. Nothing engages more of the brain. Nothing. Than music, especially making music. At this late point in the last year or so, Bart has taken up guitar again and is playing the guitar. So that's even far more stimulating. But um, we, we, we use music all the time. I would go to work and take some of, I used to call it sacred music, because I was really trying to put myself in a sacred space. Uh, and I would play it very quietly on the background in my computer, right? And people would walk by my office and laugh and chuckle and say, you know, there goes Crazy Joel listening to their music. Listen to <laughs> music. But it, it, it wasn't really just, it wasn't really for entertainment. It was for keeping myself steady and um, fighting off the blues, and so on. So, well, What you're bringing up, it's very important, because I don't think there's a person alive that can't find the emotions that come up are, are fear, anger, sadness, and joy, is what I've been told in music therapy. And you know how songs can take you back to good times and good places. So uh, I encourage caregivers on VeteranCaregiver.com to keep a glad songs list. Must like what you're talking about. Things that you know lift you up, whether they are sacred or they're silly or anything in between, because music is a powerful unifier for everyone, too. So, uh, Justin, did you have a question at this point? Well, uh, thanks, Linda. Yeah, again, I really appreciate this opportunity, Joel, for you to come on our show, because what you went through with BART is how our, our caregivers end up with their situations too, where they get a phone call um, and find out that their life has changed dramatically and everything is different, whether it was a car crash or a roadside bomb in Iraq or Afghanistan. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more about the humor. Now, I do, um, by background, I'm a lawyer, but I deployed with the Marine Corps Infantry, so I did not deploy as a lawyer, but, and I've told, uh, I speak to a lot of corporate audiences, and I often wrap up by uh, talking about lessons I learned that could help them. And uh, I, I wrap up by saying to keep a good sense of humor. And as an example, this is a true story. Uh, right after I was shot, my father came into the hospital about a week later, and I was at the bedside. And remember, I did not deploy as a lawyer, but he, he looked at me with a serious face and kind of uh, summarized the universal feelings for all attorneys, I guess, and said, see, Justin, even in Iraq, they know who the lawyers are. And uh, you know, we were able to laugh at, at our situation and kind of like you and Bart were, and it, it is a mindset. And so uh, I guess my question, I, I couldn't agree more with you about the mindset, but do you have any advice on how you can take a traumatic situation? Like imagine where you were 15 years ago, a parent with this terrible thing and how you can 
get yourself in that frame of mind where, you know what, things are going to be okay, and a sense of humor is a big part of that. Well, of course, the sense of humor is key, and that was the first thing we uh, deployed. Another technique that I use practically every day, even now, because there are certainly Bart is, is not out of the woods. He's doing very well, but it's a lifetime process of trying to heal from uh, traumatic brain injury. And unlike, yeah, um, one, of the, one of the points that I, I use every day is that I, I go out of my way to count my blessings, to find something to be grateful for. Sure. Gratitude is the attitude. Take every opportunity I have to say I love you. I don't know how often I say it. Not yeah. just smart, but, you know, I have a daughter and a, and a wife, of course. Yeah. Um, some days, in the early days, Justin, uh, it seemed that things were so bleak. Yeah. My mind was so blitzed that nothing came to mind. So I started keeping a log, which I don't need the log anymore. Yeah. I would log the good things. And at bedtime, I would review them and hope to have at least three good things to go to bed thinking about those good things. Now, when when not enough good things were happening, which there were days like that, sure, I would sure. try to go out of my way to uh, do a kindness for a complete stranger. Oh, wow. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And also a, you can put it on your list, and it's also a way of reminding yourself in a visceral way that you're not helpless. You can still make your mark in the world. That, that's uh, it's great advice. And you're right. A gratitude journal is something a lot of experts in the field recommend. I do a morning, evening gratitude, quick little session with myself on three things that I'm thankful for. But you're right. Helping um, helping a stranger uh, or someone you know, but just kind of randomly, I can see how that would go a long way to making yourself feel better because we enjoy, typically we enjoy helping others. So that's something I hadn't thought about before. I should say that Bart also does that. Bart routinely does it even now as a way of demonstrating to himself that although he is diminished in some ways, not not so much that he can help uh, his fellow uh, human being. Is that something you talked about with him? Pardon me? No, I I always feel that, that the best sermon is a good example. Yeah, so I say we talked, but he saw me doing it. Well, interesting that he picked up on that, and now it's part of his, his routine. Very much so. Another related issue, you know, these all kind of uh, are synergistic, is we made a commitment, and this was hard for Dale and I because we're what we call planners. We like to plan vacations <laughs> that we're taking in five years. We made a commitment to live for the day. Live for the day, one day at a time. Resist the tendency to think about the uh, golden days of yore, the past, or to obsess and worry about the future, the final outcome. We tried to uh, be like the marathon runner who's focused on just the one mile at hand. Uh, It's not that one mustn't make future plans, but you, you shouldn't fret about them too much or invest too much energy in them because there's nothing much to be done about the past or the future. Today's the day. The Olympic Games. Um, now, my wife came up with a, an, a useful little trick here. If your mind stubbornly clings to the past or insists on worrying about the future, you got to refuse to go along because you're going to get mucked up. So you say often out loud, we'll say it, clear, cut, delete. Get rid of that <laughs> negative stuff. 
reboot your mind to a more positive direction. So, you know, uh, this is something, and one of the things that relates to that is we'll often do uh, daily affirmations. I I tell myself every day that I'm lucky, and I mean it. I mean, I have Bart, right? We, we, We really, with any minor change in luck, we, we would have lost them back then. Uh, another oh, yeah. thing... Oh, I'll sorry. just stop you right there for a second. You're right. Um, he very well could have, could have passed away, and he didn't. And it sounds like, in many ways, you may be closer with each other than, than otherwise. So you're right. There is room for daily affirmation. I wonder, um, it sounds like you and your, your wife are very close and have committed to working on this together. Was it always like that, or how, how did that evolve? Well, you know, uh, Justin, it's a good question. I mean, we're, we're married 42 years. Uh, my wife hates it if I say no time off for good behavior, but she's not here. <laughs> um, and we we were married a long time before we had kids. We adopted our children. Okay. I, you know, uh, uh, we adopted them from Korea. So Bart and his sister Cassidy are full-blooded Koreans. Okay. They have a Jewish last name, and they're actually been raised by a white family in America as Greek Orthodox. So, oh, wow. You know, they're very ecumenical. People sometimes would say, well, uh, are, they, uh, are they confused about their identities? Right. <laughs> really yeah. not. They're, they're very comfortable in their own skin. Okay. And we worked through a lot. I mean, it was 12 years. We were married 12 years before we got Bart. Sure. We had to go to a lot of trouble to get him. It, it yeah. wasn't easy. And so, you know, we're kind of, using the analogy, we're, we're well vetted veterans you know we're well-blooded veterans yeah we've had our times we we went to marriage counseling and all of that but uh-huh. that was 40 years ago you know and one of the techniques the kids love this that we learned at the time if you're really pissed off at each other instead of screaming take a big jar of vitamin pills and shake it at the other person <laughs> and we said that you know something once in a while our kids will do that to us even now they say hey where's the lefison jar and I have a big old English sheepdog. He's terrified of the Leviton jaw. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, we've worked through most of that. And, and, and yes, she, we, we, we got even closer. Although, you know, it's a closeness. I, the whole thing, if anybody says they, that they gain something from this, it is true you gain some closeness. But I would pass it in a heartbeat. If oh, I yeah. Could. Yeah. Uh, something that's also helped us very much, helped both of us, is that we, we go out of our way to surround ourselves with positive people. That, that's very important. You, you want to uh, be surrounded as much as you can, as much as you control this, and we would seek them out. You want to find the kind of people who will buck you up and inspire by example. Yeah. You know, and so... And, that's, it's important. You know, Joe, we're going to go on a break in just a few seconds, so I'll just grab the microphone right now. Um, all of this is extremely helpful, and I, I love that we'll be able to talk further about it. We, You're listening to Military Network Radio, powered in part today by K-12. Find out more at k12.com forward slash grade. We'll be right back after these short messages. Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages.
It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Many of us look forward to the holidays all year long. It is such a magnificent opportunity to get together with family and friends and decorate and give gifts and eat the most delicious food. But numerous people dread the holidays. As far as their weight, health, and exercise are concerned, they know they'll have so much temptation and chances to derail their healthy lifestyle. Many just resolve themselves into thinking that gaining weight over the holidays is a fact and there is no way to avoid it. But it doesn't have to be that way. I want you to embrace the holidays. Have a plan before you go to any dinner, party, or event and decide what you're going to eat and stick with it. Yes, there will be temptation, but you can overcome it. Stay with the plan and reap the benefits. You can contact us at fitnessminute at annettehammond.com. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's baby and toddler instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's baby and toddler instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're continuing our discussion with Joel Goldstein, author of No Stone Unturned, a long-term discussion about traumatic brain injury and caregiving. Joel, you were talking about some more of your advice, hard-earned, of course. And that last one, right before the break, was surrounding yourself with positive people, which I think people do understand. How do you recommend, though, when some of the not-so-positive people are friends and family? Right. Well, it brings us, the, the corollary of surrounding yourself with positive people is avoiding negative people, the Debbie, the Downers. It's not so simple because, as you say, there may be family and loved ones. And if they routinely make you feel lousy, they're going to sap your strength. They, they have a kind of toxic, toxic effect, even without malice. We found that if it was too emotionally taxing to drop them completely, because they might be immediate family, then we cut way down on exposure time. And it's, you know, the devil's in the details. It's, it's easier said than done. Um, but it may relate to another technique uh, that, that may make it a little easier, which is um, searching out in your community, making an inventory of resources within your community that may be helpful and hopeful. If, you know, if you've got other resources other than toxic family, for, for instance. Right. You know, Joel, I want to read something that you had written in this article because I think many times people just accept those around them and don't even realize that their energy is sapped. But this, these two lines really spoke to me. Um, uh, negative people 
include whiners, naysayers, melancholic and depressive types, cynical and sarcastic wise guys, put-down artists, selfish blowhards, pessimists, you get my drift. If they make you feel lousy, they're going to sap your strength. You're in for a long, hard fight. These dour, toxic folks make it harder, often without malice, just by being their negative selves. If you are of a negative bent yourself, follow this suggestion all the same. You may need it the most. I thought that was very powerful because we are sometimes around people that we wouldn't say they're toxic, but if they are draining in some way, the naysayers, the pessimists, the ones who say, I can imagine what they were telling you about BART. Um, I think that's important that people identify that it's all of those things and that those kind of thoughts do have an impact on you. Well, you know, of course, as I said, Dale and I have been together a long time and we're not spring chickens, obviously. But I mean, we had people, including some family who were so down on Bart, the new Bart and our situation and thought everything was so hopeless that they basically dropped us or we helped them drop us because the idea is to find people who help you stay brave and strong. So you can be there for Bart. So you, can, so you can be there for the one who is really counting on you. And uh, so you may have to make some hard choices. You may have to strip down and become, you know, lean, mean um, parent advocates, or, or it may not be your child, uh, spouse advocates. They're not not all of these are easy. I don't want to suggest that they are. But I was saying one of the things you can do is, and you should do, is you should make an, an inventory of Resources within your community, it may be pastors within the community, guidance counselors, public health officials, brain injury associations, and so on, coaches who uh, uh, will help uh, keep you uh, on a positive track and uh, help you avoid uh, some of the uh, pitfalls that these uh, negative folks just bring along because they can't help themselves. You know, you bring up a very interesting point with friends because we often talk among the caregiving community that you find out which friends you need at which stage you're in and that some friends will not stay on the caregiver journey with you. And in the case of the military, many are afraid that the same thing might happen to their loved one. And so there's there's a distance that sometimes can be put there. Uh, likewise, being around only caregivers can be difficult sometimes. So it is a wise thing to take a look at what the caregiver needs to keep them happy and whole. Justin, would you like to step in on that one? Well, I, I do think um, in our military caregiving world, and it's probably similar to what Joel, you went through, is a lot of folks are disconnected from each other. Even though there are so many, uh, one of the biggest challenges we face in the caregiver community is them knowing each other and sharing best practices and sharing ideas. And so I am interested, Joel, I mean, you've obviously, you and your wife have been very committed. You identified a number of people you relied on. Were you able to connect um, with other folks who are facing the same challenges as you? And if so, how did you do that? Um. Yes, and um, we, uh, we did it mostly through uh, local support groups, to some extent, extent through the uh, State Brain Injury Association, 
And also, over time, uh, Bart is, uh, uh, be- became affiliated with some uh, formal support. You know, he, there's an organization called Living Resources in New York State that helps uh, people in Bart's uh, circumstances. So, uh, and part of it is, you know, through social networking, Facebook and so on. Uh, but most of it was through, through the community and community uh, suggestions. Okay. Um, what, about, what about your insurance? What, what was that coming up? What about your insurance? Uh, Joel, just a second. Can you turn down your speaker a little bit? There's some okay. feedback. Turn my speaker, sure. Um, Thank you. You bet. Uh, the insu- our insurance was pretty good on two scores. One, Bart was only 16, so he was fully covered under my uh, employee-based health insurance. Sure. And in New York State, we also have something called no-fault insurance. And if that weren't enough, and it pretty much was enough, um, uh, in New York State, they have something called the Brain Injury uh, waiver, the TBI. Oh, wow. It's done through Medicaid and it provides non medical but essential services, things like Votech and independent life skills mm-hmm. training and, and counseling. And he got all of that and to some extent still does. Um, you know, somebody was talking about, I think Linda mentioned that uh, we have to think about the caregivers themselves, that they don't burn out altogether. Right. One of the points that I'd like to raise is that you should take care of yourself. If you're the caregiver, you know, <laughs> yeah. you have to take care of yourself, whether it's, you know, meditation, yoga, sensible exercise, uh, taking vitamins, um, you know, seeing a doctor. I mean, there's no... There's no uh, Disgrace in seeking a doctor's help. I think I think Joe. A lot of the time, uh, at least in the, I, I assume the military caregivers are exactly the same as you in this regard. But they're very concerned that they cannot leave the person they're caring, even if it's just for an hour, because they're so concerned about what could happen. I guess in your instance, it was you and Gail, so you could split those duties. But did you face that challenge, though? Yes, and we had it. We. Ex- we recognized it as a very severe challenge, a kind of all-consuming challenge. And that is one of the points that I stress in this article and in the book. We call it finding happy helpers, happy helpers. That is, you find people within the community, yeah. friends, family, others. We had people, once it was known we had these needs, and we weren't shy about them. You have to overcome. Both of us are shy, believe it or not. And I was not inclined to ask for help. I'm yeah. the kind of guy who gives help. I was the president of the local YMCA when this <laughs> accident happened. I resigned. And I saw I, I want to be giving, not receiving. But you have yeah. to get past that false um, pride. And we, we, we reached out and we found that people came forward and helped us out with little things like helping with the shopping or preparing meals or taking our daughter to, she had all kinds of practice, softball and soccer, uh, even writing updates on Facebook and email updates for us, letting people know how we were doing and how Bard especially was doing. We sort of outsourced those. 
You know, and people I, learn not to be afraid to ask. Yeah. Joel, I think there's one difference in the military community. I think that there is a, a, a chasm sometimes between the military and the rest of the population that no one will understand exactly what they're going through. And there may be a problem also with the person who is injured not trusting someone that they don't know, particularly with the TBI. So I I think happy helpers then have to come from a smaller population for those in the military. And and therefore, that's why a lot of caregivers do help each other um, at various times. So I, I think that, Justin, you're right. These are the same issues. I think, however, there are some little yeah. twists on the military yeah, side of things that, that perhaps make it a, a different challenge, not a harder challenge, a different challenge, uh, and that perhaps trust needs to be worked on a little bit because I think you will find that when you do ask for help, generally you will get it. But um, the thing that struck me with what you said, Joel, and why I mentioned that is that we have found when caregivers actually ask people to do specific things like could you go pick up the a package at the mailbox at the uh, post office rather can you um, we can't mow our lawn could your son mow our lawn uh, we need groceries those were the kinds of specific tasks people could do the the thing that made it more difficult is if someone just said well just let me know if you want me to do anything that was too vague and so finding things that were set out that you could ask people to do were usually willingly met with. Justin, would you like to add to that? Sorry, I, I muted because there's a loud noise here. Yeah, I, I agree. And as a wounded warrior, I encourage um, anyone to ask for help because I wasn't comfortable asking for help when I needed it. But I think if caregivers could just accept the fact or get okay with that mm-hmm. and even ask, like you say, for discrete things that they need, Typically, people are happy to do that. Uh, and, and I know in my case, Dahlia, uh, when she did ask for help on certain things, people understood because they knew what a challenge it was that we were going through. Right. And, and so it really it helps people if you know what it is that you need to help yourself. Because exactly. I do think there's exactly. a lot of willingness to do. So as I said, I think in many cases, trust and openness needs to occur. And it's an interesting topic altogether for another program. We're going to go on a short break, and you're listening to Military Network Radio with Joel Goldstein talking about long-term caregiving for traumatic brain injury. We'll be back right after these very short messages. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Everyone knows you can catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. But who wants to catch a fly? Flies are squick and repulsive. Flies have two wings, while all other insects have four. And they beat their wings 200 times per second. That's faster than a hummingbird. Flies jump up and backwards when taking off with an average speed of 5 miles per hour. What's the word for that annoying buzzing sound flies make? Pretinency. Pestologists tell us that flies' favorite color is red. Flies have canisophobia. 
That's the fear of movement. So simply hang a plastic bag filled with water to keep the flies away. My only question would be, would a fly without wings be called a walk? I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that you gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler. Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. We're continuing our discussion with Joel Goldstein about traumatic brain injury and caregiving. Joel, I think I'm going to go back to one of the comments you made at the beginning of the program about despite this very negative prognosis by the physicians and nothing good happens after two years, you and Dale did not give up. And in fact, you doubled down on your efforts to find meaningful care for BART, including complementary and alternative therapies, what we call the CAM therapies. Can you talk to us about those and how you found them and what the results were? And we all keep in mind that everyone is different in traumatic brain injury, but there are other answers, no one-size-fits-all therapy. You bet. Well, uh, as I had said, after nine months, we got him back into school, but in a very restricted way. And he was in special ed classes, but he was routinely in every class falling asleep. And it wasn't just that he it wasn't so much that he was bored. He had so much fatigue. Anyone who's had brain injury knows fatigue is the enemy. So he had such brain fatigue that he could not stay awake for more than about a half hour. And the classes are 80 minutes in New Paltz. Mm -hmm. So uh, the school district told us, look, you know, it was a noble failure. You tried, or we tried, but Bart can't cut the ice even under these very limited uh, circumstances. So at the end of the semester, this was his first semester back, we'll have to take him out. You'll have to put him in an institution. So uh, with our feet to the fire, we cast about desperately to find some kind of alternative therapy that might help. And we, we discovered uh, hyperbaric oxygen therapy. It was recommended to us by an alternative doctor who had used it uh, for Lyme disease patients. And we tried it without any uh, much expectations, just we knew it was safe. And suffice it to say, after four treatments, four dives, as they call them, it's like in a diving bell, he was able to stay awake for the whole day. He went from being, in effect, narcoleptic. We used to joke with him that they were power naps. Because you remember, we joked about everything. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't funny. He was going to be thrown out of school. And that saved his place in school. Just being able to be awake 
long enough, uh, they relented and they said he could stay another semester. Well, don't you know, over the course of two years, he took 120 treatments. I think the optimal number is at least 80. He took 120. And he made dramatic improvement, improvement that was so so marked cognitively, Emotionally, his outbursts were way were way down in terms of uh, his mobility because he had been really uh, uh, dragging one foot behind him. Uh, he was able to jog. Uh, a neuropsych exam a couple of years after the hyperbaric oxygen, uh, the the examiner concluded that he had never seen in 25 years of practice uh, such a dramatic improvement. Uh, in someone so severely injured. So I would say this, if you, do, if you consider only one alternative therapy, it should be hyperbaric oxygen since it's, uh, in effect, uh, the king of those therapies, at least at this stage. There is also, if you look at the literature, there's a great deal of genuinely scientific studies demonstrating uh, its effect. It, it uh, revascularizes the brain. That is, it brings uh, blood back into the injured areas. And I don't want to go to uh, get too granular with that, but that was, that was number one for us. We also did neurofeedback, which helped Bart as well. Uh, we did something called cranio... When I said did, Bart is still doing craniosacral therapy now, 15 years later. But uh, most of these therapies uh, uh, were in the past. We did craniosacral therapy. We did something called Boyle sensory learning therapy. We did a great deal of nutritional supplementation, especially megadoses of omega-3 fish oils. In fact, there is an army colonel, actually just mustered out. His name is Michael Lewis. You can look up his his websites. Uh, And he developed this mega approach to uh, uh, fish oils uh, because he was uh, stationed in Iraq for several years. In fact, it's a small word, world. He read our book. He read No Stone Unturned and sent me a, an email years ago and said, you did a great job with these options, but you, you could do better. He said, we're bringing guys back from, from they're in vegetative states. A third of their brain has been blown away and we're bringing them back with he over there, they were doing it IV. Here, yeah. it's done orally, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, so we put Bart on that therapy twelve years in. This was twelve years post injury, and you can't expect a lot of improvement. Most people would say twelve years post injury, but he regained his fine motor control in his right hand after twelve years. That's when he took up the guitar again. That's when he started eating with his right hand and writing with his right hand. He had, you know, he had adjusted. He was doing everything with his left because his right hand was kind of clenched, more or less like a, uh, um, a stroke survivor. And when I wrote Doc Lewis, who is now, as I say, a civilian in practice in the Maryland area, and I said, this is almost, this is without precedent. Who loses the use of their right hand for 12 years and then, takes fish oils and gets it back again. And he wrote me back saying, Joel, we know next to nothing about how the brain works, so you shouldn't be uh, surprised, and I wouldn't be surprised by anything. So now there is a book that I'm going to recommend, not by me. 
It's by Norman Deutsch, and it's called How the Brain Heals Itself. And he surveys, it's a Times bestseller, he surveys some of the newly emerging alternate therapies, things like LED lights in the Mm -hmm. near-infrared range, Mm -hmm. something called the PONS therapy, which is a device that goes on your tongue, something called transcranial magnetic stimulation. I don't want to overwhelm people with the the, the range of alternative therapies. Uh, There are quite a few that are effective. They're still alternative, meaning they're not part of mainstream practice. And unfortunately, they're usually not covered by insurance. I should say for the veterans and, and soldiers and sailors and others listening that there are two organizations that are uh, attempting to provide hyperbaric oxygen uh, to survivors of traumatic brain injury for free. And they're called treatnow.org, treatnow, one word, dot org, and the Patriot Clinic Movement. Mm-hmm. And but I've been in touch with both of them, and they're both providing HBOT uh, free of charge to uh, veterans. In the state of Oklahoma, they've led the way. They passed a law, their legislator, legislature, that uh, veterans with uh, <coughs> TBI will be provided hyperbaric oxygen for free. There are two massive NIH studies, clinical studies going on right now in the country, which should demonstrate once and for all the effectiveness of HBOT. They're truly scientific. Yeah, they're crossover studies. There was one done in Israel in 2013, the highest gold standard of studies. It was a crossover study, and it demonstrated the effectiveness so so dramatically that in Israel, it is part hyperbaric oxygen is part of the early standard of treatment for most brain injuries. The Israeli Defense Forces use it. It's used across the board. It's also used in several other countries. I remember I remember years ago there was a lot of talk here about them and and I thought there were a lot of good results, but my understanding there was also a lot of pushback um, from providing the hyperbaric chambers to our veterans as TBIs. Is that Yes, I'm afraid it is. There is a HBOT machine at each of the VAs, but they're not satisfied with the evidence-based necessity for each of these therapies for them to be fully uh, integrated into the care. And that's a shame because it is showing a a lot of really good uh, results. The, The obvious thing is that no one treatment is going to work well for everyone, just like no drug works well for everyone. There's 30% of all drugs are refractory or they don't work. So, you know, it's interesting. Yes, it is still out there and it's very expensive unless you're able to get it. There are other organizations that do provide um, services for HBOT2 vets. Um, and you can Google those. Joel, I have a question for you. Sure. One of the ones that has been gaining more attention recently, as, as well it should, um, is the use of hormones, re- uh, modifying the hormone levels which are completely altered and depleted after a traumatic brain injury and thereby raising the quality of life standards. So for energy, mood change. Um, sexual well-being, you know, those kinds of things. Did you have any experience with what they call neuroendocrine uh, dysfunction and the bioidentical hormones? Yes, we did. Uh, Early on, 
bought, this was within the first year or two of the injury. Uh, he was still uh, in relatively early stages of uh, emergence. And um, we did some MRI work, and it did show some pituitary dysfunction. And that was treated by an endocrinologist and a neurologist. And uh, at this stage, he's no longer uh, taking any meds for that. In fact, he's hardly taking any, he's taking a cholesterol pill. That's about it. But um, I understand that roughly one third of severe uh, TBI injury survivors suffer from uh, hormonal imbalances, usually pituitary and uh, often thyroid and so on. So that, that should be something that everyone should look at. I'm hoping that people get a chance, and I know Linda's going to uh, list my Facebook page. Yes. Uh, and that Facebook page is devoted to these alternative therapies. It's nominally about the book, but the book is, is not my real focus. The sure. focus is on the alternate therapies. Yeah. So you can read articles by top people. Uh, about each of the therapies I've mentioned, you can see the evidence base. I mean, I like to say if, if a veteran has a swollen toe or a diabetic toe, he or she can get HBOT, but he can't get it for brain injury. You know, if I want to make sure we get your organizations out there. So the book is called yeah. No Stone Unturned by Joel Goldstein. Um, and there are two other references where you can find out more about what Joel is discussing. TBIbook.com. And go ahead with the last one, Joel. Okay. Well, uh, the last one, I, 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 you mentioned the Facebook, which you should look at. Mm-hmm. It's just NS Unturned. That's what it's called, NS okay. Unturned on Facebook. We've started a new organization, but uh, we don't have a web page yet. It's called the BART Foundation, Brain Alternative Rehabilitative Therapy. Joel, we're <laughs> running out of time again. You're I'm back. so sorry to cut you off, but I will put this real. out on our article. You've been listening to Military Network you, Radio, Paul. and we'll be back. back next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com and in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance 